Thanks for stopping by. I'm Corey Edwards, writer, director, comedian, worst video game player you'll ever meet. It uh, doesn't matter what the game is, I'm probably really bad at it. Uh, I will drive that Mario Kart right off the track, right into the abyss. I, I don't know what it is. I get, I, get, I get too nervous for Mario, I guess. Uh, yeah, maybe Pong. Oh, Space Invaders. Yeah, there you go. Pick something 40 years old. Maybe I'm good at that. Uh, much to my, my uh, boy's chagrin. Um, but I tell you, I tell you what I am good at is uh, killing bugs. Killing bugs. I, I, you know, last week I took out a fly with my bare hands. I'm not saying I'm Mr. Miyagi. I'm just saying I'm pretty proud of that. Or it was a very fat, slow fly. Um, we're going to be talking to someone who has designed a lot of creatures uh, today. Uh, that's why my mind went to like uh, creepy crawly creatures. Um, uh, Jonathan Martin, he's my, he's my guest. I, it's hard to even uh, put into one sentence what he does. He's a production designer. He's an artist. He's directed his own stuff. Uh, he's an illustrator. Uh, if you need a matte painting painted or if you need a robot created from scratch, you know, if you need the mask of a, of, of a predator creature in the jungle, he'll probably figure out how to make it. Um, it's just amazing, amazing craft work. Um, but, uh, that, that led me to like all the creepy critters. I don't know what the, what is the creepiest critter that's gotten into your house? Uh, I've seen some horrible, horrifying pictures on the internet. Uh, so don't send them to me. I don't want to see them. Um, cause sometimes an ant, if it's big enough and beefy enough, that, that'll, that'll creep me out. I remember once, uh, my wife and I were staying in a place where when we turned the lights out, you could hear the sound of something skittering around on the ground. And it was probably very small, but uh, it was like being in a horror movie. And uh, I will tell you, my wife is fierce. She is fearless. She is bold. She is brave. She will take on any social situation. She will take on, I've seen her uh, take on a very formidable person in a customer service situation, uh, 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 in a construction situation, a guy that was like six foot five and she did not care. She was not scared of him. She wanted to make sure the job was done to the satisfaction of the client. But I'll tell you what she is scared of. Tiny, creepy, crawly things. I don't think she'll mind me sharing this. I mean, if it's a spider that runs across the ground, I'm the one that's got to kill it. I'm not saying I'm not afraid of it too. Because I am. If something runs across my hand, I'm going to jump up and scream just as well. But for some reason, it's my job to kill it. Um, she will make a noise. If she sees a spider or a roach appear, she makes a noise that sounds like she just cut off one of her fingers. And so I come running and then I see, oh, it's a bug. But yeah, I can see, I can see why that would have startled you. But good Lord, I was about to uh, call in a National Guard. Um, so if she squeals like that about one spider, you can imagine how she felt when I flipped over, uh, an old basketball, uh, backboard. It was in the back of our yard, flipped it over and about a thousand baby spiders came running across the surface out onto the driveway. I had a squirt gun in my hand and it was like a scene out of aliens. I was like, I was taking them out left and right, but there were a thousand of them. I think that's the problem. Even if something's small, if there's a thousand of them, that's scary. You know, like a thousand babies would be scary. 
A thousand kittens would be scary. I don't know. Maybe you would love it. Maybe you would just uh, swan dive and crowd surf right over a thousand kittens. I would not. Um, but yeah, if it's, if it's a bunch of little creepy crawly things, even scarier. I think, uh, I think they knew that with movies like Gremlins. They were like, yeah, one gremlin, yeah, but let's just fill a city with them. You know, that, that's terrifying. Anyway, um, but even with Gremlins, that, that'll bring me back to creature creation. When you see an actual gremlin, when you see an actual movie prop, when you go to the Comic-Con and you, you see the, uh, the creature mask under glass and it's kind of rotted away, um, it's still amazing. It's amazing to see how something that a person made out of foam rubber and glue and paste and bits and pieces of Radio Shack parts under the right lighting became amazing and alive in a movie. Um, I will never uh, stop getting fascinated by that. Um, so that's really cool. I, I had a chance to see some of the, uh, there was a, a, a traveling, um, uh, what would you say, a traveling gallery of some of the Star Wars props. Um, I actually think it was in the Smithsonian or something. It was years ago. And I got to walk up and be really close to like Darth Vader's lightsaber. And you know what it is? It's a sawed off piece of pipe with a couple of uh, like, bottle caps glued to it. It is the, it is the least impressive thing you'll ever see. Or like some of the X-Wing pilots, you know, they have those little like, uh, life support packs on their chests and it's literally little painted blocks of wood, little chunks of wood they painted and stuck onto this thing. Um, and now we're spending, uh, I know nerds are spending hundreds of dollars to get an exact replica of it. It's gotta be an exact replica, just like the one in the movie. Give me a sawed off piece of pipe with a couple of buttons hot glued on it and I will pay $500. Because it's now, it's now it's been held by Darth Vader, so now it's super special, and it's it's been in an iconic movie. I get it, I get it, but uh, I do love the creation of of just the basics. I love a good, uh, I love I love I love a good bit of paper mache, a good bit of papier mache, if you will. Um, that's still magical to me to take paper mache or hot glue or craft foam. Give me some craft foam and some hot glue. I could turn the world upside down, baby, um, and just just turn it into something that has never existed make a helmet, uh, you make a, a, a little animal, you make like a vehicle. And I used to do a lot of that in my early days of production. And sometimes I miss it. Um, so we're going to be doing a couple of interviews, uh, one this week and one next week, with some handmade artisans. Uh, uh, they're not handmade. That, that doesn't make sense. Nobody made, <laughs> made them by hand. They're not made of pipe cleaners and glue. No, they're real people. But they are artists and filmmakers who still work with their hands. And I think we need to be reminded of that. It ain't all computers, guys. It ain't all bleep blops and bloop bloops. You don't just press a button and say render and it looks amazing. And I will say the people that sit at computers, they are also artists. And it also takes them hours and hours and hours and hours to make just a few seconds on screen look believable. So computers don't quote unquote solve everything. But also I just want people to be reminded that the the work of miniatures and matte paintings and handcrafted things you actually make with your hands and fingers, that's still in the root of what we do. That's still magical on screen. Um, and there's still people doing it. And, and people that when they have a choice between digital effects or computer effects or green screen, they still want to try to do it in camera with real stuff. Um, so one of my guests that knows how to do that is this week. His name is Jonathan Martin. We'll talk to him. Um, but first, we'll talk to somebody who uh, I always enjoy paper macheing with, and that's uh, my son, Elliot. We're going to see what he thinks in our next segment. 
Oh, guess what? It's time for that segment again. We like to call What Do the Boys Think? We got to work out some harmonies or something. Yeah, yeah, we got to figure it out. So I'm here with Elliot. Hello. He's the older son. I'm back. You're back. I also want to say, I want to say you're wearing a cool t-shirt. Oh, yes. An Among Us t-shirt. A custom Among Us t-shirt. How is it a custom made? Because a friend of mine for my birthday, they graciously uh, created and uh, got from a publishing company or something, a t-shirt made. It's a DIY. It's got names of all the people we played Among Us with. Uh, and I unironically like that game, and ironically like that game, so I wear this t-shirt around the house. It, it says at the bottom, Elliot, kinda sus, though. I am. And I love that you're wearing a homemade t-shirt, a one-of-a-kind t-shirt, because well, that's kind of the theme this week, is making things from scratch, making things with your hands. The guest for this podcast, he makes, like, crazy stuff. Crazy I'm, stuff? I'm sure you've talked a lot about yeah, it. Yeah, you've seen it. Uh, oh, wait till I show you some, stuff. I got some more pictures to you show you. You got more? But um, I, it's interesting because you just finished something you were making by hand, a very interesting little project. You made a map. I did. Uh, a map of a place that does not really exist. Right? I did not make a real map. No, that would, that would probably I mean, it's a, a real map. It's a yeah, real map. It's a real map. You can hold it it's in your hands. It's not a real place. Okay. Um, it's technically not finished, but I know where everything's going to be. So it's for like a fantasy world that's kind of like... My my own fantasy world, which has like some cre- character like creatures from normal fantasy stuff, some things that aren't really regular, like giant one eyed crab monsters, mm. and uh, it's sort of just like a thing that I sometimes I'll write bestiaries about it, like little like catalogs of the creatures in it, yeah, and sometimes I'll write like stories in it that are like folklore. Uh, that you have you have your own creature kind of encyclopedia. I do, I do. What's I the name a- of this country? Uh, it's called Volus. It's the land of Volus. And, uh, yeah, I never got it down on a really cool map. And now I have a really cool map because these guys helped me, uh, these guys, my parents, uh, you guys helped me get out a giant piece of paper and then, like, sink it in, drench it in tea. Yeah, we right? aged it. Uh, yeah. uh, Vicky, your mom, she, she brewed a bunch of really dense mm-hmm. tea, like lots of tea bags in one pot. And then we got that, and we just kind of took, like, um... Uh, paper towels, and dipped them in this dark tea, and kind of blotted them all yeah. over the paper and aged the paper. So now it's got this national treasure color. <laughs> right. We were going to burn the edges. We right? were going to try that. Uh, I don't know if I'm still going to do that. That's a, that's a cool idea. But yeah, I, I already crinkled it up a little bit, so it's a little... It, we, we rolled it up into a scroll, so it's kind of Yeah, naturally. well, and, and when the tea made the, uh, the paper wet, it mm-hmm. kind of dried overnight, you came out and looked at it and said... It's not quite as stained as you yeah, wanted it, so then we yet. did a second layer. But as the paper dries, it got all crinkly, and yeah. there are wrinkles in it, and it yeah, does it look really, like it's... It really works. It looks like it's 500 years old. It, it's, it turned out really great. And I'm not technically done with it yet, but I think it's really cool. So. And now, why did you want to make a map? Because, well, I... So I like this world a lot, but uh, it's sometimes it's harder for me. I, I so, come... Not to toot my own horn a little bit here, but I come up with a, a great slew of ideas in my, my noggin, and sometimes it's hard for me to get them all out for, for people to explain my stuff. So I was thinking of doing a sort of... Now, I'm not a, not, I'm not a huge D&D guy. No. Uh, I'm not a huge D&D guy. That's not to say I'm not a D&D guy, but I like to dabble in role-playing. So I thought of making my own custom sort of role-play game with my world. So that's what the map is for. So that and you could literally plot out 
where you are in your RPG yeah. and you lay it out and you showed it to your cousins over the vacation. It mm-hmm. was real cool to unroll it and show them. Um, it's got kind of the continent is outlined. You've got some yeah. of the detail of some of the different yeah. lands within that continent. And then we had... You drew we, a cool sea monster. Yeah, I drew a cool sea <laughs> monster because some of these old world maps have little sea monster drawings on the edges of yeah. them. It's great. Um, hey, and side note, because you talked about a one-eyed crab creature. Yeah. I bet that creature's not nice. No, no, the, it's a crab. It can't be nice, can it? Did, giant Did you and I have this monster. discussion? I, 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 I don't know if Nate was in the car when we had it, but yeah, no, I, I remember giant, If you see a giant crab monster, it's never a good thing. Tiny crabs are fine. We, we know a couple of tiny crabs that are yeah. okay. Sebastian and Sebastian Little Mermaid. Sebastian and the crab. Well, here's what's funny. We oh, just saw uh, the, the Sea Beast yeah. on Netflix. Great movie. Uh-huh. And some of the beasts, spoiler alert, are friendly. We yeah, find some out are some nice. are friendly, some are not. There's a giant crab monster. He's not friendly. Not friendly he's at all. He's not friendly. And then, like in Moana, wasn't there a giant crab in that? Giant crab. He's super selfish. Not wants friendly. To, wants to eat people. And then I just saw a, a, a film called Love and Monsters, I recommend. And uh, spoiler alert, there's a giant this crab giant in that. Crab One monster. of the meanest monsters in I the movie. Think, I think, personally, this is like, we need to, we need to uh, pitch out some help for these crab monsters. Yeah, we crab need monsters a, need a better publicist. They, they need a voice out here in this world, because yeah. they are not being painted in a very right. good light. They're right up there with sharks and wolves in fairy tales. <laughs> like, if you see a giant crab, no good can come from it. Yeah. Uh, but, but we digress. So you've made a map, and that, that got me into thinking about asking you about other things that you make. Like, when you sit down and you feel creative... You don't. Sometimes you work with your hands and build stuff, but a lot of times that happened when you were very young. We made a lot of stuff out of craft foam. Yeah, yeah. Like I made a craft foam set of uh, like bat wings for you to wear around the house, and a little. Uh, I think we made a little masks out of craft foam. But now you're older, you work a lot digitally. Most What's, of the stuff I create isn't 3D anymore. I, yeah, I think I think that's kind of like a theme with my art at this point. Uh, me and me and Nate get along to some some cool stuff because like I'll do the occasional sketching, but when when I get to actual projects, I think that in terms of actual projects, the this map is the coolest thing that I have to show to people. But we, it helped it helped make your world real when you yeah, made that real map. It, yeah. it makes it it makes it feel really authentic and, and cool. Mm-hmm. But me and Nate have been working on loads of stuff because like sometimes I'll work on animations because I've been doing animating. And sometimes me and Nate are working on this game idea that we've had that I think he's mentioned a couple times on this podcast. And on that game, which you want it to eventually be a video game, yeah. you're working on, are they called sprites? Yes, I am I'm working on the digital sprites. Nate's giving me some help with it. but So that is an, an app or that is a program that you're working in pixels? It's a program in the, in the game maker. But yeah, you... you yeah, it's all pixelated. You can upload your own images, but we've decided to. So, what would a sprite be in a game? Is that that's a character that has like a run cycle or a turn yeah, cycle? Yeah, a sprite is any animation or even just graphic that is that represents a character. So, like in in Pac Man, that little pie that chomps yeah. up and down, that's a sprite. Yeah, somebody had to chart out what he looks like at all the positions when his mouth yeah. closes and opens, closes and opens. So you're doing like a little like a little knight or a little warrior, mm-hmm. and you you're literally charting out. His I'm leg, him walk sideways, his, his run I'm cycle, him walk up. I'm making him walk down. So that then, when you control him, it triggers that animation. Yeah. So that's really cool. Yeah. So that's that's been something that has been an art form that I've been dabbling in. Um, and and you have animated short films. They're really short, like twenty I do. seconds. They're really short. Twenty seconds. You, you did a, a a kind of a cool thing for a school talent show with mm-hmm. a with a hamster. <laughs> um, and you have a YouTube channel. Why don't you tell I us where you can channel. find that? Uh, it's, it's kind of funny, uh, it's called McCray Tunes, but it has the, 
like craziest spelling you would find in any YouTube channel. So it's kind of hard to find, but it's my middle name and it's Irish. So it's cool. So it's like the capital M A C capital C R A E tunes. Yeah. Um, look for the double C's M A C C R A E tunes slogan for it. So people can remember. Uh, but I, I haven't done a whole lot on that, but I do like to do some animation stuff because I like cartoons a lot and I like drawing cartoons. So yeah, that's the other thing I wanted to point out is that whenever you have a time where you're sitting down anywhere, you have your clipboard and you have a pencil and you're just drawing off the top of your head. The, the vacation we just went to last week, we were at a steak dinner and much to the dismay of mother, I was drawing with my head down in a a clipboard. We're at a nice restaurant, but down in your lap (laughs) is the clipboard and you're drawing, drawing, drawing. And I was bonding with the cousins. I was drawing things for them, but yeah, no, it was, uh, it's, it's, I, I love it. It, it's and, a way for me to express stuff. That's and you mind. do connect with people when you were a, a, day, a counselor at this day camp. When I was, yeah. You drew a lot of cartoons for the kids. The kids would really like that. When I was working with the younger kids, they would, like, ask me to draw, like, characters from the internet or stuff. Sometimes I'd be like, oh, brother, I can't believe you guys know who that is, but I, I know how to draw it. So yeah. that's kind of fun because they, they get to see me do that. Well, even though you're working digitally in animation sometimes, it's still, you have got a stylus, you're working with your hands. Mm-hmm. And, and so when you draw or when you make a map, uh, it is soothing. It is a way to kind of mm. get lost in, in something for a while. It's, it's yeah, nice. It feels similar because I, I just like creating stuff, even if it's crummy. It's just sometimes getting it out there is the cool part. Well, that's great. I mean, I hope that if somebody else out there feels the same way, you know, sometimes you just need to doodle. Sometimes you just need Absolutely. to get out a piece of paper and just draw for the afternoon, and it can really be soothing. You know, I would say that if you think, if you're not happy with what you're creating at the moment, and you see something else that you think, man, that's cool, I wish I could create things like that, then just try creating things like that. Like, not to the point of plagiarism, but mimic it as much as possible, and then you'll sort of, like, take things from everything that you think is really cool. Yeah. A lot of my uh art style and the way i I write things is all just taken from things i i think are really cool things that i like uh things that i thought hey that's that's something that i think is the best of what it could be and so i take that yeah how do they draw their eyeballs how do they draw their hands what is their style if nothing new is on if if there's nothing new under the sun then i've just compiled a bunch of old things under the sun and squished them together into something that's interesting probably that then becomes yours because it's it's a unique mix all right well that's all the time we have Thank you for talking to me. Thank you for talking to me. Thank you for for interviewing me. Uh, I love you. I love you too. And that's all the time we have for What Do The Boys Think? That was the worst one ever. Awesome. My guest today is a writer, a director, an artist, and just one of the most unique um, creative people and visualists that I have known over the years. This is Jonathan Martin. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Corey. Well, um, wow, quite an introduction there. Thank you. Am well, I, I, I've, I've known you in a couple of different ways, um, and I'm going to try to describe to people, or maybe you can, what you currently do for a living. What would you say you currently do for a living? Yeah, and it's funny because I'll, I'll mention it, and people go, what, what? And you have to describe to them because they're so they're so unaccustomed to, oh, you mean people actually, oh yeah, people actually have to do that. And what we do is we, we create scenery. So if you go to a museum, 
who makes all the exhibitry, who makes the race car punching through the, the wall um, mm. for, you know, a children's environment at a church or something like that. And yeah, I usually have to describe things like that. And people go, oh, 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 wow. Well, that's unique. Yeah. So that's what we, that's really primarily, that's been the bread and butter uh, over the years. So that's it's, primarily what I'm known for. I will, I will kind of follow you on social media and every once in a while I'll see that you have created maybe a 30 or 40 foot T-Rex for someone or um, <laughs> a, a giant kind of um, fairy tale looking uh, tree that's growing up through the middle of a play space. Um, just stuff that nobody else I know knows how to do you do this uh, amazing kind of building stuff and visual stuff. Um, and mm -hmm. I think that, that I first got to know you through um, a project called Pahapahui Island, which was your original creation. Uh, tell me about that show. Yeah. Now we're going back some years. So I had, I had this idea and it started um, back in college and I just kind of been tinkering around with it and had uh uh, just a fun group of characters living in my head. And I know you know exactly what that's like. Yeah. And you've got these fun little characters and they're having adventures and, and you can, you see the whole world, you know, it's this fascinating, fun little place that you've created and gosh, darn, I want to share that. So you think about, well, what's the best way to do that? And uh, you know, I really didn't know anybody at that point. So I did some paintings trying to express, you know, the, the vision of it, um, drew out the characters and, well, what's a good way to make some of these characters come to life? Cause they, they can't, they're not going to be actors. You know, one's a frog, one's a firefly, um, with a really cool, unique voice, by the way, <laughs> somebody, um, and how do you make them? Well, okay. So there's animation or, uh, in this case, I'd have thought, well, I really love, tactile dimensional someone made someone fabricated and and a camera actually captured it so that led us to puppets and we pitched that to uh impact productions there in tulsa oklahoma and they they said yeah and greenlit and you got involved in it and yeah. it was so awesome to be involved in that and the writing of it and voicing one of the characters so yeah, that's going back some years. Now, it was interesting because, like, I'll get an idea, and, and, and an idea like this, it's, a, it's basically a kid's show. It's like a half-hour mm -hmm. uh, kid's show, and you did several episodes. And, and I would tend to think, well, you know, it's a, it's a gang of mostly, uh, there's a little girl, and there's some animals, and they all go on a tugboat adventure, and they're on a quest. Mm -hmm. And it, um, it, I, would, I would go to animation uh, in my first thoughts, but it was just so unique that you went right to puppetry, and that this, uh, I know you contracted a company that, that specializes in these mm -hmm. Muppet style puppets. So not only, I, I, it's, I think it diminishes what you do to just say that you make scenery, because if you need a, a, a 50 foot wall of, of rock made out of styrofoam, Jonathan can do that too. Like you, you, you know, all the techniques of like vacuum forming fiberglass and, uh, mm -hmm. just, just hot gluing things and, um, and, and, and but you also have a, the hand of an artist. So if you needed a matte painting or in the case of Pahapahui Island, you didn't fabricate the puppets yourself. But I know that you made um, like when they would go to a wide shot of the quest that these puppet characters were on. Um, there was this elaborate miniature of not just the tugboat, which had a real working 
uh, stovepipe with smoke coming out of the top. But then it had a little paddle that went on the back like a paddle boat. And then the whole landscape was like I, the closest thing I can attach it to is, um, you know, like Dark Crystal or Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. If some people know that Muppet uh-huh. project yeah. Yeah. where there's a yeah. huge landscape that you built that takes up a whole room just to photograph. But it's all miniatures. And I think we've lost uh, sight of how beautiful that art is. Matte paintings, miniatures, puppetry. And the fact that you, I, I just want to jump ahead to like, you're still doing that today. Your, your go-to is still physical production. Can this be done with a puppet, a costume, a mm-hmm. physical automated prop that I can work like a puppet? Um, so it's every time I go to your workshop, it's so enchanting. Um, and so Pahapahui, I got to write some of the episodes and then I ended up doing the voice of Fernando the Firefly, which was kind of like Frank Sinatra as a firefly. So that was right, uh, right. It was one of the most unusual characters I've ever done. <laughs> yeah, and, and a terrific job too. Did you do yeah. some of the puppetry in that also? Working the puppets? you know, I I kind of did a little bit, uh, just a touch. Um, it was kind of a sideline. There was a, um, I was struggling to find the name of our villain, and I think you came up with him. Ichabone Slink, and he was a snake, and he was hot pink, and he just kind of really stood out shockingly stood out against all the uh the greenery that is a name uh, i haven't was, heard in a long time yeah yeah it just came to me i actually haven't myself yeah no it's it it was a lot of fun and you know as you were talking an image popped in my head that i hadn't thought of in a long time was you know you kind of go back to well what inspired you as a kid and I, you know, we had um we didn't have the subscription to world magazine but we were given some and I'm five, and there was a, there was just a handful of images or or you know behind the scenes documentaries or whatever that it was that quintessential. Anybody in film has these, and we all have our stories, and some of them are probably the you know, similar or the same. And one of them was uh, was World Magazine on on the Muppets, and um, they were showing this guy up in the cherry picker marionetting kermit on his bike and i'm five and i'm looking at going (gasps) oh the dna just went yep that's you wow not not so much oh i want to have to do puppets i really not but it's a it's a means of telling a story and conveying some quirky little funny characters and like you say you you either go animation uh, in this case, this day and age, digital animation, or you still do it practically in front of the camera. And I have to say, that is my love. The more tactile it is, that's my love. And, well, and I, that's I, I, know I gravitate that you, to. You want to get in there all the time. It's not even that you want to sit back and orchestrate it. You want to get in there because most projects, you're probably one of the guys in the costume. You're probably, I've seen you inside a 10 foot tall uh, robot suit. You figured out how to work it, and you're like, I want to be the guy in there. It's kind of like, uh, you know, it's like uh, <laughs> Ang Lee when when they were doing the Hulk movie. He's like, I want I want to motion capture the Hulk. I right. love that. You know, you want to get in there and help make it come to life. Um, and I do remember, wow, just other and up to the stuff you just showed me this week. Um, you want to be a part of it. You want to be in it. You want to live inside the world you're building. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, just, just to go back in time again, after that experience with Pahapuhui Island, 
um, you and I worked together on a children's book. I had written a story called The Christmas Lizard. And with no money down, you went ahead and helped uh, spec out, as they say in the business, for free. You painted the first, uh, I think they were oil paintings, like genuine old-fashioned paintings. Mm -hmm. It was a double-page spread from the book. And that helped us sell the publisher on the book. And then you did, uh, if anybody's got a copy of my book, The Christmas Lizard, uh, it's hard to find these days, but we're going to republish someday. Um, You can see every single thing in there. Every illustration is Jonathan's. Um, you know, there, I, I'm a cartoonist. I, I couldn't get it done the way I wanted it done. And you kind of fleshed it out. I said, I want it to feel like the Velveteen Rabbit or Paddington or something. Mm-hmm. And you really, you really uh, brought forth the warmth in that. So that's oh, just another terrific. thing you do is you paint illustrations. Yeah. And you know, that is, uh, when you, when you do, I don't know when you, so you're you're going to have a certain set of you know these are your talents these are your skills these are your um, uh, go to that you know that you refine but uh, of course like you know anybody you have to you know I, I can also remember when uh, I, again I, everything goes back to when I'm five not meaning to but there was <laughs> another kid in kindergarten and he his name is Drew and he was the kid that would draw that's funny Drew. Yeah. And um, the teacher asked, well, Drew, how do you draw birds? You're so good at that. And he goes, oh, I just do, 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 do. You know, he made a little hand motion. And I remember that's when it clicked for me. I went, well, I can do that. (laughs) And, and, you know, of course, uh, you got to practice. You were like, wait a minute, I have hands. I can do, (laughs) I can do, do, do. And um, so I went home, practiced and did stuff. But painting, I would see something in my mind. And I'm not, I didn't, I didn't go, didn't have training, didn't have uh, art lessons or anything. So it it was more a, a explore and and it's huh wow so these colors are not drying this this goo that all, all these different colors of goo they're getting muddy well this is very frustrating very very frustrating but um i i would think ahead as uh my love was always in in film and i was thinking you know someday maybe i'll be a director and i i, I have the idea for the lighting it's all oh, this scene is just so cool i oh how am i going to communicate that and i thought okay well i got to get good at painting this is like me at 11 or 12 or 13 kind of goofy but you know that's that's where you're at that's you know you're ambitious you're ambitious and you're you're energetic and okay let me figure this out and it just i just remember thinking it was the toughest hardest thing in the world to, to catch on to and uh moving forward a little bit down a few years later um, I don't know. I must have been like my early twenties, mid twenties when we did the Christmas lizard. So for you to give me that shot, that was, that was really kind of an amazing moment. I look back and I see, Oh goodness. Oh my gosh. I could do so much better now, but I can also, it's, it's encapsulated in time and look, the story is told. It, 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 there's emotion in the eyes of, of the lizard. And um, I remember trying to be very diligently copying, you know, you drew out the elves. You're like, hey, John, this is this is what Tink and forget the other guys. Benny, name. Benny and Benny, Tink. Benny and Tink. Hey, they got to have this. And I'm like, okay, I've you did these really quick 
gestures, but in that real quick little gesture, it's, you know, it's, you're talking about fractions of an inch off and it, it loses something. So I remember trying yeah. to capture that. All well, that I'm kind of a, is... I'm, I'm kind of as an author, I'm kind of an illustrator's nightmare because I can draw uh, a little bit of what I want. And then I'm so, so I'm like, don't make it look like this. Um, yeah, no, well, I didn't see it as a nightmare at all. It was, it was fantastic. Uh, I thought it, it worked together terrifically. Yeah. Good. So well, thank you very much for that still, opportunity. Is, that book is still winning fans. Like every year I hear about it around Christmas time, people discover it again and again and again. It's still out there in the world. And that's, that's crazy. Oh, that's to me. neat. I, I, I have a handful of times where I'm just like, I'm talking to someone. Okay. Our, our, uh, um, Catherine Walton, who works for us, she, you know, totally unrelated. She goes, <gasps> "You just what? You, you're kidding me! I read that to my son Will every, you know, like yeah. bizarre. I I don't know why I feel like I should be, you know, completely shocked and like, what you saw something, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, it is. I, I've had that happen a good number of times, and it's it's. That's rewarding. Well, I mean, you know, it's hard to find episodes of that that puppet show we just talked about, Pahapahui mm -hmm. Island. And out of the blue, uh, somebody at my my uh, kid's school, this is a high schooler. Mm -hmm. He mentioned it to my son and he said, you know, my dad worked on that and it blew his mind. And it blew my <laughs> mind that someone out there knew what Pahapahui Island was because you don't know where these things go or who right. ends up seeing them. It's not right. like it was on uh, NBC on Saturday morning. Right. Right. Yep. But it um, is. It is. What I'm taking from what you're saying, though, is is even when you didn't know how to do what you do now, and I've said this to other young artists, like, just do what's right in front of you. Um, mm -hmm. All you knew was, I know I can draw, and now I can figure out paint. And paint is kind of like light in film. And so mm -hmm. it's like, uh, I think what some people aren't willing to do is the meticulous hours and hours of work to figure out why the paint does what it does or figure out right. why if you turn a light this way, it makes it much more dramatic on this mm -hmm. object. And not only in, in film and lighting, but you have also figured out all the other craftsmen uh, uh, ways to like, uh, you, you know how to do a certain woodworking and machine working and engineering uh, things that a lot of artists find tiresome but you have worked out all of the little ways, all those details that nobody wants to do to make the mechanism actually work. The physical prop physically have like these hinges on it or uh, whatever it needs to have. And I, that's something yeah. that I find fascinating that I don't know that I have patience for. <laughs> well, I, and I think you find that, you know, we, we all have passions and uh, getting to that end result of is this going you know you, you see something in your head and, and to actually work through how and and so much of it is is communication so how am i going to communicate so uh, or actually or maybe i should finish that story now i paint on the computer and um so for our project our film project that is a giant proof of concept proof con uh, uh, concept piece very elaborate very audacious crazy plan and we're we're done uh capturing our principal photography so that's that's a big milestone we're all cheering um but i found that the scenes and and shots that turned out the best were the ones where i sat down and just spent sometimes five minutes or 10 minutes and did a quick color study 
And I just said, oh, okay, I, I know I need to map this out. I need to plan this out. We, you know, we're going to be limited on time, limited on. We're going to be repurposing this, this part over here. We're going to take it off. And we're going to flip it around and spray paint it and blah, blah, blah. And we're going to make it look like something else. Okay, because we're pinching pennies. Um, but how do we do it in a way that serves the story and isn't just about a prop? It's not just about a cool set piece. It really is about advancing the story, advancing the characters. And are we going to move um, people's emotions? But to do that, doing all this stuff, like you say, woodworking or foam sculptor, sculpt, sculpting, um, vacuum forming, you picked up on that. Yeah. Um, all of those tools, what are the best tools to communicate or to create and do it on a, on a dime and do it fast and do it smartly. So it's efficient and fast and, but it's, but it doesn't look like you just slammed it together. So the best times, um, the best results were when I did these little tiny color studies uh, on my iPad and I would take, you know, a large brush. I wouldn't try to get super uh, complex. I would almost like put a stopwatch to me, like give yourself 10 minutes and then call it done. And it was a color study in creating the mood. And it was basically me getting to play cinematographer before we bring on our cameraman so that I can just go here like this. Right. And that communicated. And then I could go worry about other stuff and, you know, um, be uh, directing. And it it there it, it reduced the amount of wonder or uh, it, it was just here's the vision and oh okay you're gonna have a strong light from the top you're gonna have okay some little cool rim light from the side here and that was great and then he could throw in his two cents and you know do a better job um, than I could and and his name was Spencer Fritz wonderful guy terrific guy it's his um, shot on the red. Oh, wow. That's nice. And yeah, terrific uh, film, uh, rich, rich quality. We were able to, uh, and we're still tinkering with that, the, the actual look and the filters and whatnot. But anyways, huge, huge, huge um, endeavor bringing that many people, that many talents together on a low budget, which was the big proof. It yeah. wasn't just, um, hey, we're getting to have fun, although we had a lot of fun, of course. Um, if I sat down and said, Hey, I've got a script, here's the script. Well, I know it's not going to see the light of day because they're going to read the first paragraph that, and you alluded to a, a big giant tall robot that looks 40 foot tall attacks some village and what, this is going to be an independent film and a low budget. No. Okay. Get away from me, kid. You know, dream on. Right. So for us, the idea was, well, we've got to prove that we can do it, not just do it, but that we can do it with a very, very small, small budget. Yeah. And so that's really what was behind it. And um, so it's going to be the world's longest, uh, most, you know, longest uh, 10 minute long trailer. But, but it's something that showcases the necessary diverse skills um, to produce that story, to communicate a very, very visual story. Well, I think, and you're talking about, uh, currently the title is Genesis Lost. Is that right? 
Yeah, and I, I guarantee you that'll change. But yeah, <laughs> currently that's that's what we're talking about. But yeah. but frequently, if for those who don't know, independent filmmakers, it's it's sometimes they have to do this, especially with somebody with your skill set. It's not a trailer that's this tight, uh, cut 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 cut, you know, blitz of images. It, but it's it's not a short film. It's just a longer, uh, slower pace, like more open shots to really see a piece of the film at a time. Uh, mm -hmm. to, to see, just kind of take people on a tour of what the film will look like. And and you kind of get swept up in it. Uh, a lot of these pieces that I've seen with the right piece of music, it does feel like a trailer, mm -hmm. but it's a little bit longer and a little bit more relaxed. And um, I I had the chance to go to your uh, your warehouse in uh, just outside of Nashville. Uh -huh. And it's a magical place. I mean, there's, there's not many places like this anymore where people are building physical props, miniatures, um, uh, full full scale, um, you know, weapons and and helmets and stuff was everywhere. And um, I still don't know the total story, but I, I just this week you sent me just some rough, just kind of bootleg rough shots mm -hmm. of what you guys have captured, and all of it is in camera. Everything I saw this week was in camera, and I'm I'm sorry this is not a visual podcast, so I'm going to try to describe this to our listeners, but. It is stuff that that looks like Star Wars or the Dark Crystal or there's there's some some moments where uh, there's stonework and a throne and a guy on a throne that felt like Dune. And it feels that big and it feels that expensive. Um, and I noticed some of the, uh, you know, some of the weaponry and some of the look of the technology had had uh, almost an Egyptian or Mayan quality to it. But it was definitely, you know, intergalactic. And then there was this kind of technology that was underneath the stone that lit up. It felt like things from uh, Disney's Atlantis had that kind of tech, tech or uh, even Tron-like kind of feeling to it. Um, but um, everything that was in camera looked great. And uh, there was barely, you know, I, would, I would see stuff that had green screen in a window or mm -hmm. uh, just a moment of green screen underneath, like the rocket bike that uh, you were uh, riding on. And but But for the most part, there were whole shots where... Things that that people would naturally say, oh, that had to be blue screen or that had to be a computer did that. Or um, that's definitely a composite shot where the actor and the bike was in front of nothing. And then they made a scenery. Uh, you're doing it all in your warehouse, in camera. Um, and I think you told me that even like this speeder bike type chase, you were literally pushing it in like one or two second shots past the scenery. Like people are underneath you, like pushing it on wheels or something. Yeah. Yep. I, and I, we, we started with that and I did some tests <clears throat> and I remember, um, Indiana Jones and they're in the mine car. And yeah. I remember them going through these mines and they actually built, you know, a full size chunk that just kind of went around in a circle. And I remember the trick of, Oh, okay. The camera and the lens that they chose is pretty close to the actors. I mean, they're in a mine car. So it's all real tight. Well, it doesn't take a whole lot of speed um, to have your background. If your background's pretty close to you, it, it's going to be moving past the frame. Your, your framing is not very wide at all. So you only get this really small, narrow window. So I thought, you know what? Okay, so we made this thing. We made this rig. I was talking to the guys in the shop going, I don't know. I mean, can we... Oh, that's nuts. We can't bring a vehicle in an enclosed space, but you know, maybe we can run some pull it. I mean, we gotta, we gotta, this thing's gotta move fast. And, and we're like, no, we're going to fumigate ourselves. 
uh, you know, and then, and then um, I'll give credit to Jeff. He just spoke up and he goes, well, John, I don't know. Maybe it's just big old giant handle and, you know, two, three guys pushing. And so we did some tests and I, we, we went into the filming we scheduled and we, we, by the way, we've been working on this thing over a course of four years because this is not what we do right now. We're, we're, there was a two year span inside that four years that I couldn't touch this. And it was, it, was, it killed me that I couldn't touch it, but we were off in Oklahoma building mountains. And, but we had to come back here and we, we have these little narrow pockets of time. So we took one of those narrow pockets of time. We built the bike, we built the rig. Um, Randy welded up this thing and, and, you know, with, with tires and pneumatic tires and, it was on the cheap. There was nothing about it expensive, <laughs> but put together in the right way. The idea was okay. And, and I knew that we had a set we had already, we could reuse, repurpose a set. We've got these big giant foam elements that we can just kind of move around like Legos. And, you know, these can be arches that we can duck under and, you know, kind of help disguise some of the background because we're going to do it over and over and over and over again. And, um, we did the first take, we had the camera mounted to the rig, uh, Spencer, our camera guy, he was sitting below me. Um, I'm up in the air about seven, eight feet and, uh, he's down below and he's operating the camera and, and the camera's on an arm. We, we got, we got that, uh, that elaborate that we could move the arm <laughs> and he's moving it with a stick. And this sounds so cornball and hokey, but the first take we did, we all just kind of smiled. We went, oh, that worked. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that worked. And I felt like, and so then suddenly in my thought, instead of just getting two or three shots that I thought maybe aren't going to even work, um, we're like, uh, we were, we were shooting on that for a couple of days and <laughs> thoroughly wore out the guys question it better worked you know well it's and, all you know film is all about just capturing little moments and you stitch them all together and somebody believes it um yes and, and it's just like yeah it, it's if you guys can picture like a speeder bike from return of the jedi but it's mounted on a giant metal wagon and there's like three or four guys just pushing it as fast as they can uh-huh and then stopping and, as fast as they can yeah too, so, so it's like you're getting these one or two second increments but I, some of the footage that you showed me, I was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, it looks like Star Wars. And uh, that's all you need sometimes, especially for this size of the proof of concept. Mm -hmm. um, and what I love is that, you, you know, many people do uh, go to investors and they go to studios with a script. And you have another set of skills where you want to go from the outside in and go, OK, look, I'm going to just show you. I'm already making this thing. I already know how to make it. Some of it's already made. Look at this. And mm -hmm. it, I, I tell you, it doesn't matter how many pages I write. Hollywood is a visual place. And studio executives have no imagination. And the more you can show them pretty <laughs> pictures, the more uh -huh. you can walk in there with puppets or a cutout or a, a model. Man, mm -hmm. they ooh and ah over. I brought a model in once, and I'll tell you which one it was in a second, and you'll smile. But they oohed <laughs> and odd over that model. And it's like that gets everybody's attention to gather around the table and hear the story. Yeah. Um, and so I think I'm very excited for, I, I, first of all, the fortitude to spend years where you have to go away and do the client work and come back and keep working on this one thing that's going to be 10 minutes, four mm -hmm. years for 10 minutes. But um, I think it's going to be amazing. I mean, what I've seen, the glimpses I've seen 
are amazing. Um, could you talk a little bit about there, there's a villain in it or there's this kind of uh, robot like villain. And I saw the helmet for it and mm -hmm. you showed me how you made it while I was standing there, that it was literally a bike helmet that you started attaching stuff to and put a light in the face of it. Like it's very simple, but, but done with an artist's hand. It looks amazing. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, my mind was going to another helmet, but yeah. It might be the giant robot, which you yeah, performed. It, it, okay, yeah. Uh, you know, part of the, the proof of concept is, is not just to come up with a story that we could, you know, sell and go, hey, you know, just as long as I get my, you know, two cents of, you know, a little bit of fame of a uh, name on a screen or something. No, like you say, I want to be attached to it to get my hands dirty with it. I mean, that's... The, the process of film and the craft of film is just something that I'm in love with. It's just, it's just, like you said, you stitch a couple of things together and suddenly it can, done, done correctly, it lives on even bigger in the minds of, of the audience. And it becomes something that not even, you know, you made a suggestion of a big, tall robot that I'm about to say what we made the mask out of. And then it becomes something much, much more. Um, I have a, um, a couple of props that are from movies that I, I treasure because when I was a kid, I saw them on the big screen and they were magic. It was just, <gasps> wow. Well, all it is is a little piece of acrylic and a thing glued on it. And, you know, I mean, that's all it is. But it became something much, much more. And the thing that you were uh, referring to it was um uh a bike helmet because the bike helmet's really lightweight okay i'm gonna have all this other gear that i'm gonna have to w work and operate and and the reason why it's me it's because um so low budget i i'm back home building some stuff you know after hours and well i've got my arm i've got my head Okay, I'll build this thing around me. Uh, I kind of know how to move the thing to make it look more robotic. Um, it's going to be insanely hot when we shoot. I don't want to put anybody else through that. Yeah, so it ends up being me. And I have fun doing it too. Um, but the bike helmet then, was, you know, there's a bunch of other stuff glued onto it. And I just used foam core and uh, mat board and bits of plastic and some, you know, what they call kit bashing. Um, but the funniest part is uh, I bought a bag of, of razors, the disposable razors and pens because they have a really unique, cool shape and you can get a bunch of them for um, pennies. So you glue that all together and then you put a light in it. And again, it's that acrylic thing with a thing glued on it. But in the context of the story, the, the hope is, is that that becomes menacing and scary. And that particular phase uh, of that, robot was really kind of inspired by a bug that i absolutely hate they're everywhere in tennessee i don't know you, you pull a <laughs> rock up and these little caterpillar things that are super fast and they got too many legs and they're just weird looking and i thought man they're creepy okay well, face so that's what that was based off of yeah it was well, a lot of fun as i as i walked around ooing and eyeing at, at some of the stuff in your warehouse um, some, some of it is so epic in scale. I, I think because of what you do with your clients, you need it, you need the space in, in, in this mm -hmm. shop to machine things, to build things. But then in the corners of your shop, like all the walls of this, this huge warehouse, 
you've now made into like kind of the rock walls of this other planet. Um, so that when you have time mm-hmm. to shoot, you just turn around and like start setting up your giant chunks of rock. But then the other things, uh, you know, apart from like the beautiful miniatures I saw, then there was this box of what looked like garbage. And you said, oh, yeah, we save <laughs> uh, we save all of our milk cartons. We save all of our uh, 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 salad boxes, mm-hmm. any, any plastic containers that any of us in the, on the crew have, we throw in this box. And I think people would be surprised, even in the movies they see, how much kit bashing goes on with yeah. just junk that is is like detergent bottles and stuff glued to the uh-huh. wall. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that. And my favorite, my favorite secret to secret sauce is uh, wood clothespins because you can take them apart, you can chop them up, and you can just throw them on everything. Um, one of the funniest moments was, uh, and this, to me, it, it made me chuckle inside because I thought, now this is independent filmmaking. Um, so we have, I, I've got, you know, a number of actors, a number of people wearing makeup, wearing costumes in front of the camera. This, this particular moment happened to be me, but I'm in this cockpit. I'm, I'm in my 40s and I finally get my spaceship. It's hilarious. um my my i brought my son on set he was just like um and he's at the time he was probably four he goes is this yours dad i said yeah (laughs) it is and he just started grinning and anyways so i i've just gone through um describing the shot um okay the camera needs to do this and you know this is what's going to happen we need to light it blah 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 and I knew that I had five minutes of, I knew my lines and I was like, well, I got five minutes. And I know that the set piece behind me wasn't really quite finished. So I holler off, Hey Jeff, we got some, we got a hot glue gun warmed up. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, can you grab me uh, 20 tongue depressors? I mean, literal popsicle sticks. I go and I spray paint some popsicle sticks. I come back and I'm hot gluing them on in costume, in makeup. We're about to. And I thought, if this is not, this is what I love. Everybody, nobody is, is above anything. Anybody, you're near the, the prop that needs to get moved five feet. If you're the actress, well, move it. You know, if, and that kind of camaraderie, that spirit of, whatever it takes and everybody it's like old-fashioned theater everybody's just single-minded it's really hot or it's really cold um we're we're rushing we we know we're dealing with we really are dealing with popsicle sticks folks yeah um and and it was just it was a fun moment and that really exemplifies everything that we're doing now now to your listeners, what I'm really intent on is making sure that it does not look like a popsicle stick. Although it is, the the real test is making sure that we're taking that spray bottle and that that can and that blah blah, and we're gluing it together with a, a production designer eye that says it right. better not look like what it is. Well, but we're going to age when... it and paint it, and then and if and if we and if we're successful in that, then we've done the that we've done the movie 
the movie magic, which then it becomes much more than what it actually is. Well, I think that the simplest objects and the simplest things in the hands of masterful artists in, in the hands of somebody like you have spent, you've spent decades trying to figure out how to make this stuff look better than it is. Um, it always turns out, you know, I, I, I do remember on, on a set once where we were shooting in uh, a set that looked like a medieval cottage and uh, we've got the camera on a dolly and we're shooting the actors. And I said, you know, what we need to do is we need to we need to bring the camera past like a little table with some candles on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were like, we don't have any tables. I'm like, no, 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 no. We don't need we don't need tables. Just give me an Apple box. An Apple mm-hmm. box is like basically just a wooden box that's on every grip truck uh, for film crews. I said, just set the box in front of the camera, put a candle on the box, because all we're worried about is what the camera lens sees. So the camera Mm -hmm. passes by a single candle. That's all it sees. And I remember some interns going, oh my gosh, that looks so good. It's like, because I don't care if you've got a, a real table or not. All I care about is what that camera is seeing. And so you are looking through a camera's eye that no one else is looking through it's right. amazing too that like it's pieces of styrofoam and wood, but you're also going. I know that if I turn on this fog machine and smoke up the atmosphere and turn this mm-hmm. light so that it backlights it in a certain way, um, we we we've got uh, a Ralph Macquarie painting. We've got a we've got something that looks like it's from a you know Star Wars or a Kubrick movie or or, or whatever you want to put there, uh, but it's all about lighting and capturing it in a certain way, um, yeah. and that's just that's the magic of it. I, I remember your first demo. When you're much younger, at the end of the whole demo, you're standing on camera and you go something like, I'm Jonathan Martin and, and anything is possible. And you literally lift <laughs> off the ground and fly away because you had figured out how to rig a wire harness to yourself. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure that just came from, I want to fly. I want to figure out how they do that. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, no, I've, oh my goodness, I forgot about that. Yeah, that was, a, boy, That again, that goes back, uh, that goes back some years. Yeah, I, and you know, the, the, it's the the mystery or the the mystique of i you know what why do you go to the movies i mean there's all sorts of reasons and everybody's reasons are going to be different but one i think one unifying reason is there's a uh, there's an awe um a, a well-made well-crafted movie um i one of my my cousin shelly she she posted you know, one of those things where they put out a question and you're supposed to comment on it, you know, a movie scene that you saw as a kid and it just stayed with you. And, and I wrote in, um, the kid gets separated from his dad, the boat's on fire. He gets thrown overboard along with a horse. And then he's in the middle of the night and he's looking up and he sees the boat sinking and the prop, you know, it's from the black stallion. Yeah. And she emailed or, uh, Chime right. Like, oh, John, that was mine. No way. It was just bizarre. I mean, we're we're similar age. I know the and, shot you're talking about too. Yeah. Uh, and it's just like those moments, um, or or the the one the same movie where it's that little horse on the ledge and it starts to glow. I don't know, you know, looking back, well, I it's some grip guy over there with a rheostat sitting on an apple box like you said with a rheostat and you know and the coppola says okay turn it up you know and he turns it up and this little orange light glows in the context of the movie when i'm watching it i didn't know if that horse was magical did that horse make the boat sink you know i was too young but looking back it was so much it is that art of 
you're making a suggestion. And if, as long as you give the audience just enough, it's not even so much that their imagination fills in all the blanks. It's that they are experiencing something brand new or in a different way. Um, they're exploring. And as an adult, if you can make that happen for adults, um, that's really special. It's like watching a magic trick that your eyes are going or your mind is going, I, I know this isn't real. And, and this is blowing my mind because I know it's not real. I, I'm an adult. I know that's not, you know, <laughs> but you're, you're, you're seeing something happening. Um, that's, you know, when, when you, when you create something with shadow, we had one shot where I didn't have the actor, the, the actor that I needed. You, you mentioned a guy sitting on a throne. Well, he, he states away now. Um, so I was going to have uh, my lovely wife, Melissa. She was going to make an entrance, a dramatic entrance. And there's supposed to be this conversation going on between them. That's really, really key to the, you know, giving a good chunk of, of story. And I was like, well, how am I going to, you know, maybe I'll just have a hand come on the shoulder and it can be anybody's hand. Oh, okay. Well, you know, well, um, so I said, Hey, Spencer, uh, we're running out of time. You know, it's late in the day. Everybody's super tired. Uh, Spencer, get in the lift and, and let's, let's shoot this straight down. So she comes up and she, you know, it's, it's a bird's eye view looking down. She comes up, up to the throne. We don't even see the throne in this shot. And we've got this orange dramatic orange shaft of light. And it's very harsh and she kneels it's in slow-mo and someone did something and a shadow went across. And I went, Oh man. Oh, I, I can't take credit. You know, someone moved something and the shadow gave me the idea. And I thought, Oh, I'll, where's the robe. I'll put the robe on and I'll just be the shadow and the shadow of the hand moves across. And it was just like, that's the way to shoot it. Even if we had the actor, um, it's moments like that that are really, really neat. It's the little statue on the mantle with, with the light getting turned on to it. But if you can capture magic, that's um, I'm not I'm not sure I'm talented enough to do that. But that is sure the goal. Yeah. Um, well, there's, that, there's one thing that there's one thing that we are all experiencing as an as an audience. Kermit riding that bike, and mm -hmm. I remember the moment I saw it. And you're saying we'd already even seen the Muppets on TV. And now we're seeing Kermit out in the daylight on a on a road and he's got legs. and He's riding a bike. And it's like my, everybody's brain broke, I think, when they watch that. <laughs> yeah. So there's that experience. And then for people like you and I think for people like me too, uh, seeing a guy on a cherry picker with the with the wire marionette rig above mm -hmm. it, seeing how the magic is made doesn't ruin it for you no, you're like no that makes it even better oh that and, uh, makes it so much better like my brother and i still talk about seeing a, a documentary for the making of the empire strikes back and it's where vader is using his force powers at the height of the battle with luke and vader and he is using his mind to throw uh, uh giant pieces of equipment at luke and just bashing him in the head and eventually it throws him out of this giant circular window and John Williams' music is just thundering, mm -hmm. and 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 the and the sound effects and the music are just huge. And then we see the documentary, and it's literally Mark Hamill standing in a room while uh, sweaty prop guys throw styrofoam bricks <laughs> yeah. at him, and it's just like thump. Yeah. And he's like, and yeah. he's like swinging not his real lightsaber; he's swinging a stick that they're going to replace right. with the saber effect. And so it's just Mark Hamill just going, uh thump 
thump. And it uh-huh. looks like the boring, the most boring, dumb thing you've ever seen in your life. Yep. And that to me was magic. I was like, yes. I see now that I can do that part. I got to just find out what the other pieces are. Right. Um, and so it was magical to see, you know, like like just an actor uh, fall off of three feet onto a mattress. And you go, oh, I remember that part where they fell off that cliff and took my breath away. Uh-huh. It's all the same. That's hilarious that you bring that up. That's why I say, you know, we all have these moments, these aha moments. And usually it's when you're a kid. But um, yeah, that was mine too. I was sitting on the at uh, 2335 Wyatt Court, our oh. first home that that I was, you know, grew up in. And uh, the same TV that I would watch the Muppets on, right? And that that documentary came on. And and that my moment was that's just like emblazoned in my mind was um, there was a painted backdrop and then there was this miniature snow drift. And then there was a guy underneath the snow drift and he had some kind of a rig and he's picking up the rig and the little probe comes out. And if people know the movie, they, you, you know what that scene is. And the fact that it looked so real and convincing but then you look around and wait a minute, there's lights and light stands and props and people. And, and that's when, you know, it's the Kermit the Frog moment, that moment. It, it's just that's when your DNA just jumps and says, this is you. And, and you know it. And when and if not everybody has those experiences, but as an artist and if you're creative, those are golden electric i'm sorry you think i'm weird or nuts or whatever i don't care this is who i am you know when you walk through a a theme park same age and you go i i know why they did that i know why the 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 sound comes from over there and then there's a flash of light over here and there's a jet of spray or steam over in your face i get it i get the rhythm i get the 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 why the music is cued here. And I, I, I understand why um, that, that character you know, does what they do and, and says the line that they do, but the, it's, it's got a certain pacing to it. And, oh my gosh, I, I understand this. And it's it, to people who don't, who aren't that everybody watches movies, everybody um, TV or, or film or, or whatever. Um, but not everybody uh totally understands that and and it it is part wizardry part mad science um (laughs) it's just like whatever works but that craft is just so much fun i just now there there are so many people that would um embrace some of this they've got their own model train set they've got their own miniature Mm -hmm. figures they paint at home and that's a hobby how would you talking to somebody who's very young maybe listening to this podcast uh, like how do you What's the secret to you? You could have easily gone on to become like an architect or a, a, a scene painter on Broadway or, or done something with some of your skills mm-hmm. or maybe even just gone and gotten, quote unquote, a regular job. But what what is it that has kept you? You've, you've managed to turn this into a business and into a career where you're still doing what you wanted to do when you were six years old or 10 years old. Mm-hmm. How how did you make it to this point without keeping it a hobby how did you turn it into a, a life's work that's really a hard yeah. thing to do it, it is and um you know uh one of the 
when it when it kind of started becoming something other than a hobby is is when it was a hey john we, we um i remember the first thing was uh junior high and they needed some little some little skirting that went around a speaker for the school play or christmas play or something i don't remember what it was but I said hey can you paint this little cardboard thing to look like stack you know brick stone like you know, castle i said yeah and it kind of went yeah and i was like oh i hope i can <laughs> i hope i can and and but i was like yeah I think, I think i could do it and i just kind of figured out oh they had beige and black and they didn't really have white so okay but somehow managed to to make it look like stone and and it would just progress so it went from you know doing something like in junior high doing something in church you know volunteering you know there was vbs there's always opportunities for set and scenery yeah um but it but it, uh, going into college i didn't stop doing that so there was uh there were opportunities um in, in there in, in tulsa i mean a lot of people don't think anything goes on in tulsa actually there's um a, a good uh little film community there as you know yeah and there was a, a number of creative things going on there in that town enough to keep you know, a handful of guys like me and uh, a few others busy. So I was constantly doing this on the side while I'm going to school. And uh, I graduate from uh, college and just kept doing it. And so maintaining that and doing that, you go through some rough years where there's, you know, nobody knows you. No, there could be people, you know, a mile away. They're in desperate need of what you have, but they don't know and you don't know. And you haven't made the connections, but, um, I, being an artist and a businessman, that's tough. So I've had to learn how to go. Okay. I'm not going to noodle that anymore. I I've got to walk with that's good. It's, I, I feel like I've given the client more. I always try to get, feel like I'm giving a little bit more than what they're paying for. Um, cause I want it to be a good reputation. I want to, you know, get the next gig. Um, but at the same time, know when to call it quits and stop being an artist and, and <laughs> go, okay, that's it. That's it. Move on. Um, so you, you, you learn that you also learn how to, um, correctly uh, evaluate your work and, and so on. It's, it's tough, but if you keep doing it, um, for me, it was, uh, learning if there was a need and if it was someone needs an illustrator for a book, uh, um, okay. Yeah. All right. I'll do that. Well, um, oh, somebody needs a set piece for a music video, um, or somebody needs a, this, that, or whatever. And if you, if you remain open enough in your, in your thinking and not closed minded, um, but if you're also willing or, or have a desire to create a demo reel, a demo reel, and you want a packet full of your best of, you also want to be able to, and it's amazing how many artists I run into. I'm like, well, so do you have, let me see. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, they're not very good at documenting. So you, you do need to document. You do need to, and it's the easiest thing in the world now with your smartphone. Um, but document, build your portfolio and build those connections and be willing to take on whatever projects. I, I've taken on projects that are such, wide swaths of, of from way over here to way over to way over there and not all of them are the 
most fun in the world. I mean, it's just like, okay, that's not exactly my personal cup of tea, but hey, this is a good project, a good job, and it will lead to something else. Well, so, wouldn't you say that even when you take the boring jobs, you might learn a technique. You're like, well, you oh, know what? Totally. That, that stonework, that cracked stone technique, I'm going to use that on on the next. Yep. One. Oh, yeah, totally. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and um, because it, it, there's not too many places that you can go. I mean, there's, there's a few um, of where you can go to learn this kind of craft. But it, it, it's still that weird, strange thing that's, you know, um, when you're dealing with insurance, the, the, like, you do what? Uh, we don't have a box for you guys. Right. Um, uh, it's still that it's very much a learned craft um, that you glean from others. Um, I also have a, quite a library. I love books and they're all. You know, if it if if it's got the title of the art of, I probably have it. Oh yeah. Um, you know, to the point where I've bought multiples and didn't even realize I bought multiples of the same <laughs> book. It's pretty bad, but um, but I devour them. You know, and, and I don't just look at the pictures; I read it. And yeah. uh, there's there's a lot of and now you've got YouTube. I mean, you and I can go back now and find that documentary that inspired yeah. us. Yeah, you know, of Kermit well, that's why, or the whatever. It's right. it's all there. You, yeah, you that's why it. I kind of mourn the loss of like DVD extras. I think there some mm -hmm. extras and behind the scenes are coming back on streaming services. Mm -hmm. But um, I I just I hope we don't lose the the documenting of the work as you say, yeah. um, and and the physical building stuff. To to I, I hope that, that that the old ways don't completely die out. And I think I'm encouraged because sometimes when you see something in a movie and you think it's a computer effect. Mm -hmm. um, they're still making models. They're still doing practical stuff. Yeah. Um, sometimes it is actually, it's still cheaper, but I hope that there are still artists out there learning the craft. Um, and you said something interesting about, um, you know, you're an artist, but when you turn your art into a business, you have to be a little more pragmatic uh, about knowing when to stop and call it done, knowing mm -hmm. what to charge, what is valuable and what's not valuable to spend time on uh, for the client. And mm -hmm. would you say that doing that when you go to your passion project uh, that you spent four years on, uh, would you say that now that skill of like knowing when to just step back and go, this is all the camera's going to see, Jonathan, you don't mm -hmm. have to like, <laughs> I heard about James Cameron, like, you know, uh, micromanaging the teacup designs on the Titanic. <laughs> um, there's a uh -huh. certain point where you just know you're all, you're almost your own client. Like the work yeah. is done enough, right. smoke it up, throw the light on it. It's going to be great. Right. Yeah. You do. You have to be your own producer. And I think that lends a lot of value to if, if we are pitching something. Um, well, OK, what what have you done? What else have you done? Well, have you have you gone through the furnace of some higher budget projects that with that comes a lot more responsibility, a lot more expectations from the client? And so there's the creative aspect of it. You know, when you're the kid going through the theme park, going, oh, I, I get this. I understand it. But it's a whole nother thing to go through all the budget meetings, all the, okay, well, we said you had this much time. We're sorry. We're moving the goalpost on you. You only have this much time. Um, but we're going to play some hardball and we're going to kind of, you know, and there's going to be some words and, and there's going to be all that. And then is it to code? Is it to engineering? Do we have the engine? Do we have all the documentations? And you're in and out of meetings and you're saying, I just want to get out there and sculpt the, the, the miniature. 
No, we got to do all that. You got to balance all of that. So when you, when you do step up to a film, which you got to be, you got to, you, you do need to hand it in and not just endlessly work on it. You got to go, you know what? That's good. That's, uh, I think um, Ben Burt is the one who said, you know, movies are never done. They just kind of escape. I was like, oh, <laughs> yep. that is so true. <laughs> That's so true with any kind of creative endeavor. You, you get to a point where you, all right, we got to pick up the pace here. And, and I'm always proud that, you know, we, we land our, we stick our landings on our, um, on our budget and in our time frame. So if the client has this kind of a deadline, so we've gone through that furnace uh, over a period of, of years now. And so that, that plays and lends itself very well to, to film production. It still, it still applies to your passion project where mm -hmm. you're paying the bill. Yeah. Uh, well, it's almost like you're pulling off a magic trick every, every day on the set and you're mm -hmm. going home just as amazed as maybe the audience will be later. That you pulled it off. <laughs> right. Right. Yep. Well, uh, is there any uh, uh, client thing that you can tell us you're working on? You don't even have to be, use details, but I always like to hear, like, are, are you having to build some uh, ridiculous uh, giant's foot or, uh, <laughs> or, or a giant fork? Like, what are you having to build right yeah, now? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so right now we're doing a lot of design work, and we're doing um, some design work for a museum that's going to be in Ghana, Ghana, Africa. Wow. And it's a part two, kind of a sort of a related but not related part two to the museum of the bible there here in, D in dc i'm actually here in dc right now oh my doing god a, doing a little bit of work but um yeah yeah nothing nothing crazy crazy going on but that you know give us a day or two and that'll, that'll but change. that's exciting because i'm sure you're in that in that in that phase where you're like well how are we going to pull this off let me think about the materials or the technique mm -hmm. and uh and how are we going to get it to ghana and i think the yeah. phrase you should use with the client is it's gonna be great and you, <laughs> you right. can take that for free <laughs> uh i'll take it <laughs> uh well jonathan this has been inspiring and and great to talk to you and and i can't wait to see uh uh this proof of concept you're working on your your labor of love and i can't wait to see what you're doing next well thank you so much Corey. it's too bad our cross our paths don't cross more often but um pleasure to talk with you and i hope that this was inspiring to somebody out there really oh yes do. oh yes me included I want to thank my guest, Jonathan Martin, uh, for just a great conversation about, oh, just the intricacies of really making cool stuff for films. And, you know, I mentioned that bringing models in to show people during a pitch. Um, uh, I'll tell you, one of the models I brought in to DreamWorks one day um, was a three-foot-tall robot that Jonathan Martin built for me. It was a maquette. They call them maquettes. Of, um, I had a, a boy in his giant robot movie. And I had another artist drawing up the designs and then Jonathan, he just couldn't stand it. He said, I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you that 3d robot. And he, I don't know how he did it, but he sculpted it to look just like all the schematics we had of the robot. So I have this giant statue of this robot, uh, stomping across a highway and I was able to take it in for pitches. And now it, it sits in my office to this very day. And if anybody wants to make a giant robot movie, you call me. Okay. Uh, but thanks, Jonathan. Uh, hopefully we have those Kermit the Frog on a bike moments um, every now and then to keep us inspired. And I hope that this uh, show inspired you and I hope to see you next week. I'm Corey Edwards. Thanks for stopping by.